by a raise of hands, how many of you guys are saying that 2011 is starting off better than expected? Raise your hands. Hey, that's not bad. Better than expected. The years start off better than expected. Okay, that's good. Then I won't ask the other opposing question because we already know where the rest of you are at. I apologize. I know how hard things can be and disappointment. The new year has started off with um, lots of changes, lots of uh, things adjusting and things um, kind of being tweaked a little bit, which is kind of the norm for um, the beginning of the year. You know, last week we talked a little bit about resolutions and we talked about how people at the beginning of the new year always use that as an opportunity to adjust things in their life, to make changes in their life, or to do things that maybe they've always wanted to do, but they just needed that special reason to try to do it. And, um, and so it's cool. So if it's week number two of the new year and you're already falling off the wagon on your New Year's resolutions, then um, I'm sure you're in good company, but I'm going to give you a little encouragement. Don't quit. If it's something you really want to do, if it's something that you really believe you're supposed to do, it's not too late. Too late. Get back on that horse. Keep on trying. And uh, that's that. Okay. So you guys feel better now? Feel a little encouraged, a little motivated? Good. Whatever. Okay. So I'm really excited tonight because um, I thought I was going to be the only one that was kind of sick. You know, I came home this afternoon, I had to take a nap, and apparently I haven't been able to hug very many people here tonight because, like, everybody's sick. And so if you're here tonight and you are sniffling, sneezing, coffee head, fever, stuffy, flu, symptoms, then I hope that tonight God touches your body. We're going to pray at the end that everybody will just be open to God's healing power and the touch of God to be able to take those things away so we can all go to work Monday. But, um, man, it sucks being sick, doesn't it? Just drains the life right out of you. Our life, like being sick, has lots of ups and downs, and, and our life, if we look at it from start to finish, is very much a progress, a process, very much a journey. When we look at the totality of our life, and we look at where we, we are at today, and then we look back where we were 10 years ago, for many of us, it's drastically different. It's very different. And our life tonight when we begin to talk about what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, it's very important that you and I get some context and get some understanding of where our lives really are at. Because sometimes you and I judge our lives really at the worst possible times. Sometimes you and I judge our lives and the progress or the, the process that we're currently going through, and we judge that current place and we put way too much stock in it. Last week we talked about what it means to go through hard times. We talked about what it means to go through times where we literally are feeling the discipline of God in our life and how sometimes that pain and that discomfort and the hard times that we're going through causes us to really feel like a failure and really feel like we're doing something wrong because we don't step back and we don't see that our life really is a journey and that we're really in progress and in process of going somewhere and doing something. You know. We talk a lot here about the story of God. We talk a lot extensively about, about the beginning of this story where God created the world. And when God created the world, it was absolutely flawless. It was the master, most beautiful creation that an artist could ever create. And it was perfect in every way. We talk about how when God created Adam and Eve and he breathed life into their lungs and he began this relationship with them, that there was no outside interference 
There was no sickness. There was no pain. There was no anger. There was no addiction. And when we look at the beginning of God's story and how God started this whole thing, and then we fast forward to where we live right now, we know it's vastly different. We know it's drastically different. We know that something has changed. And as we've talked about in the Bible, the story of how sin came into this story, and how sin came and invaded that perfect creation and began to taint it and began to invade it and began to totally disconfigure the perfection that God had created, we start seeing the ugliness of sin and we start seeing how it's ravaged families and we start seeing how it's destroyed lives and how wars have come and poverty has come and abuse has come as a result of that invasion into God's perfection. But tonight, we're going to start talking about a very pivotal moment in the story of God. See, when we go back to the beginning, we see that there literally is a beginning when God created it We see that there's an invasion where God's perfection and his creation was was completely invaded. But now tonight, we're going to see that there's a third moment in time that changed everything once again. Christmas was last month, and as we began to talk about the story of Christmas and how Christmas is really about God's light invading darkness, we began to talk about this moment in God's story. A story moment where the anointed arrival of Jesus comes into our world. And when that happened, everything changed in the story of God. Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years. He walked with human beings just like you and me. He told stories about God in heaven that no one could see But Jesus told stories from a standpoint of someone who actually had seen him. He came and he he, he walked where we walk and he ate the food that we ate. And he said the same language and stories that we speak and tell. In other words, he brought something that was so distant and so hard to grasp right down to the everyday man. And he did that for 33 years. And then he left And as we've looked in Scripture and as we will look some more, we find that when Jesus left, he didn't just leave and say, okay, my time with you is done. No, Jesus left with a promise. He said, I am leaving so that the story of God can continue. Jesus says, I am leaving so that my church and my kingdom can be established on this earth and for the next period of time, you will see great things as the light begins now to reinvade the darkness. And Jesus made this amazing promise on his way out of the story. He says, someday I'm going to return again. I am going to come back for my church. I'm going to come back for the people that I have entrusted this amazing message to. And when this segment of time is complete, the story is going to end. And so as we look at the story of God tonight, we see a very distinct beginning when God created the earth. We see a very distinct invasion of sin into God's story and his creation. But then we see this period of time that you and I live in right now. We live in between times. We live in between the time when Jesus came and when someday Jesus will return. This is where you and I live right here, right now, in between these two markers, 
in between these timelines. You and I are waiting for something to occur. We're waiting for the day when Jesus will return. It's an interesting point to think about, really, because you and I have in our society this this elected process where we actually elect our government officials. How many of you remember when our president was elected? President Obama was elected. It was a historic moment for our country. I remember where I was at that day. We were, we were actually on vacation, and we were in a different country, and it was all over the news. It was the most amazing historic day, and we were sitting here watching history be made as this president was coming in, and he was coming in with an agenda. President Obama came in with a lot of ideas and a lot of things that he was saying that he wanted to accomplish. And everybody knows that when a president is elected, that he's got a term of four years to accomplish his agenda, right? When a president is inaugurated as president, he's still not done with his term. He still has four years to accomplish everything that he has set out to do. When Jesus came to the earth, much like that presidential inauguration, he came and was inaugurated the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords right here on the earth. He was inaugurated and his term began. And Jesus said, there's very specific things that I want to have happen. There's very specific things that need to take place. And when my term is done, I'm coming back. And that's where you and I stand here tonight, waiting for the things that Jesus promised to take place, to take place. I want to share with you a story out of the Bible tonight. It's kind of lengthy, and so I want you to put yourself in story hour mode. Remember when you were in kindergarten? You guys remember that, when you had to sit and listen to the story? No? I don't remember kindergarten either, so. We're going to pretend that we remember kindergarten. I want to, I want to share with you a story, so listen to this. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the same Mary who poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, the one that you love is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the glory of God. I, the Son of God, will receive glory from this. Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days, and he did not go to them. Finally, after two days, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected and said, Teacher, only a few days ago the Jewish leaders in Judea were trying to kill you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, There are 12 hours of daylight every day, and as long as it is light, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. Only at night is there danger of stumbling because there is no light to see. And then he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, that means he's getting better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was having a good night's rest, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. And then Jesus told them plainly, 
Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I wasn't there, because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, he was nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Come, let's go to, and we will die with Jesus. I want to pause in the story right there. This story is so far pretty weird when you think about it. Jesus hears that one of his best friends that he knew very personally was very ill, and their family had called to Jesus and said, you got to come. This guy is he's sick, and he's, he's not going to make it. And Jesus makes this amazing statement. He said, Lazarus' sickness is not going to end in death. And then Jesus waited where he was for two days. Jesus stayed put where he was for two days while this news sank in. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with this Jesus character, let me give you a little bit of background. Jesus was somebody that in his culture and in his society was known for having miraculous powers. He was somebody that there were great debates about because people would see him literally pray for sick people and they would recover from their sickness instantly. And there was great debate over whether or not Jesus was truly from God or whether he was a magician or whether he was even from the devil. And there was all of this debate going on and everywhere that Jesus went this debate followed him and you would think that for Jesus to hear this news that somebody is sick especially somebody that he loves and somebody that people know and associate Jesus with that Jesus would go quickly because you would think that his reputation would be on the line that this man this healer needs to be able to take care of the ones that he loves that are sick and yet Jesus says I'm gonna wait for two days while this goes down. How many of you have ever had to wait for something in your life? Waiting stinks. Waiting is hard. It's, it's, it's that feeling of being stuck in between and it's uncomfortable. Being in between is so uncomfortable because you're not here, but you're not quite here either. It could be a decision. It could be a relationship. It could be anything in your life where you're just not quite able to do what you want to do or what you think you should do. They were in between. And as we pick up in the story, it says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to pay their respects and console Martha and Mary on their loss. When Martha got the word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, I know, when everyone else rises on the resurrection day, but Jesus told her, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, even though they die just like everyone else, they will live again. 
they are given eternal life for believing in me, and they will never perish. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And then she left him and returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the other mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Now Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house trying to console Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. But when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell down at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, he was moved with indignation and was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But some said, This man healed a blind man. Why couldn't he keep Lazarus from dying? And again, Jesus was deeply troubled. Then they came to the grave. It was a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. And Jesus told them, Roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, by now the smell, it will be terrible. He's been dead for four days. But Jesus responded, listen to these words. Didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all of these people standing here so that they will believe that you've sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. He was bound in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. This is one of those two strange stories where you listen to the the content and you listen to the way that it all goes down and it fills you with a lot of questions. It fills you with a lot of why. Why did it happen this way? You know, the obvious question that we see when we, when we look at a question like this is why would Jesus make them suffer for two days when he could have showed up and he could have completely changed the situation in an instant? Jesus in this in this account, literally tells a dead man to come back to life. And he does. He comes out from his dead place and he's alive again. Jesus surely could have healed this guy. Jesus surely could have spoken it before he died. And yet in this moment, Jesus wants us to learn something. He wants us to see something about himself. See, you and I, we live in between these two, point, these two points in time. We live in between this time in existence where sometimes things just don't fit the way that we want them to fit. 
We read in Scripture that says that Jesus came and Jesus started the church and Jesus established his kingdom and then he uses us, you and I, to build the church and to begin to work and to begin to be the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears and the mouthpiece of God to share the love of Jesus everywhere we go. And yet you and I encounter situations all the time that are very much like this dead man. And we say to God too, just like these sisters, God, if you had only been here two days ago, then it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have gone down like this, God. And, and God, I've been diligently doing what you've asked me to do. I've been doing the things that people tell me I should do. And I've put myself on the line and my reputation on the line. And God, I've even put your reputation on the line. God, how come you didn't answer my prayer when I prayed it the way that I need you to? My friends, those two days in this story, though in this story there are literal two days, in your life and in my life, they can stretch on for months, years, days. This story shows us that even though we think we know what God needs to do, sometimes God takes two days to be able to do what God knows you need him to do. In the very beginning of the story, Jesus hears the words, Lazarus, your friend, he's sick, and you need to come. And Jesus makes this statement, Lazarus isn't going to die. Lazarus is not going to die. And I don't know where you're at in your journey here tonight, but if you will listen to God, and you will say, God, I need to hear what's really going on in my life with the situation that I'm facing, God will speak something similar to your heart as well. Because that word that he spoke was meant to carry his disciples and his friends for the longest two days of their life. It was a promise that he gave to them that says, this is not just token words, but this is something where if you see it for what it is, it will carry you through what is about to become the darkest moment of your life Will you hang on to my words It says, it's going to be okay. In between, it's going to be okay. I want to stop right here right now and I want to say a prayer with you because some of you here right now, you need to hear God speak to your heart. It's going to be okay. Let me pray for you. Jesus, right now, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the way that you speak to us and I thank you that right now in this moment, there are people that are going through excruciating circumstances, God, that are bigger than them, and it's dark, and they need to hear you speak. It's going to be okay. Jesus, would you comfort them? Would you speak peace to them? Would you give them what they need right now in this situation? And whatever you're going through, my friends, if it's financial devastation, if it's relational turmoil, if it's whatever it is, offer it to God right now in your own way. Just give it to him and just say, God, you can take this. You can have this situation in my life. In this story, we find a, a principle that absolutely has to be the guiding principle for the moment of time that you and I live in. Because every single one of us faces tragedy and hard times. 
And if you're in that place right now, then you need to do what these friends did when their friend got sick. They went and found Jesus. Look up with me. When tragedy hits your life, when hard times hit your life, when something goes on that kicks you in the gut and makes you feel like you don't know how you're going to get through it, you have to find Jesus. You've got to go and get him. I know that sounds strange, but you have to find Jesus in that moment. You've got to get on your hands and your knees. You've got to You've got to connect with him. You have to open up the scripture. You have to pray. You have to worship. You have to find a way to bring Jesus into that situation because it's too big and it's too dark and it's too hard without him. As we look at this story tonight, keeping in mind this point of time that we live in, in between Jesus' coming, which is a magnificent, historic, history-changing moment, full of promise, full of potential. Here we are thousands of years later waiting for the day when he will finish what he started. We see in this story that just like where we live today, there are three points of contact, three points of the story. There's the beginning when Jesus hears of his sick friend where word comes, and they say, Jesus, you've got to come. Lazarus is going to die if you don't come and help. And it's just like that point when Jesus came. The world was crying out for a Savior. The world was crying out for help. The Bible literally says that God heard the cries and the groans of his people, and he began the process of sending the Messiah. It started a long time ago. But God heard the cries, just like Jesus heard the cries of his friends. And God sent the Messiah to this earth to begin to bring healing, to begin to bring light, to begin to change everything that had been stolen and destroyed. And just like the two-day waiting period that these people had to go through, you and I are in this period of waiting where it's a, it's a mixed bag. Because in this story, there was all kinds of different perspectives. Do you realize that there were people that truly knew, truly believed that Jesus was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do, and they had no doubt and no fear. But there were people in this story, do you remember in the story that the disciples, fresh in their mind, knew that the place where Jesus had to return to was a place where they had just been run out of by the religious leaders. And the religious leaders hated Jesus so much that they said, if you come back, we will kill you. And Jesus says to his disciples, we're going back where they are. And one of the disciples says, let's go. We're going to go die with Jesus. If he's going to go, we're going with him. But in their mind, in their heart, they were facing something dark. They weren't even thinking about Lazarus. They were thinking about their own death. They're like, this is it, guys. This is the end of the line for us. And they begin to go on this journey. See, just like these guys in the story, everybody's got a different perspective. And these sisters that told Jesus, if you had been here, it wouldn't have gone down like this. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And yet, 
in the middle of this story, Jesus performs one of the greatest miracles that any of them had ever seen. And at the end of this story, just like the day when Christ is going to return, Jesus puts himself on display for everyone to see. And the glory of God is made known. And people are in awe of a dead man being brought back to life. See, this moment that we fix our eyes on, this, this day when Christ comes, this moment when this period of in-between that you and I struggle through right now ends, this is a moment that we look forward to. It's a moment that we, we in our hearts and in our minds have a lot of feelings about and have a lot of thoughts about. In the book of Hebrews chapter 9, I want to share this with you. In Hebrews 9 and verse 24, it says, For Christ has entered into heaven itself to appear now before God as our advocate. He did not go into the earthly place of worship, for that was merely a copy of the real temple in heaven, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the earthly high priest who enters the most holy place year after year to offer the blood of an animal for if that had been necessary, he would, have, he would have died again and again ever since the world began. But no, Jesus came once for all time at the end of the age to remove the power of sin forever by his sacrificial death for us. And just as it is destined that each person dies only once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died only once as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, but he will not come to deal with our sins. This time he will bring salvation to those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. Jesus is coming again to bring salvation for us. How many of us in this place tonight as we look at our lives and we look at the condition of our hearts and we look at the condition of the choices that we've made and the places that we've gone and the things that we've done, would say, I can't wait for the day when salvation comes to me. Salvation, we just sang a song. It says that Jesus, he is mighty to save and he is the author of salvation. Sometimes we t use that term very loosely. We throw it around and say salvation without understanding the depth of the meaning behind salvation. Because what it really means is that without it, we are dead and we are in a bad place. And we need somebody that can rescue us and can literally save us. And tonight is a night we're going to talk about so many things about this journey that we're on. But tonight is a night when we bring front and center into our minds and into our hearts salvation. Coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, thank you for coming and starting something that has been continuing on to this point where we live right now. Lord, I want your salvation. In just a few moments, we're going to come to these tables here. 
And these tables literally are a representation and a reminder of the salvation of Jesus. We read in Scripture a story of God coming and being with us, and at the end of his life, he lays it down and he dies for you and I. He builds a bridge for you and I to be able to know this faraway, distant God intimately and personally so that when we cry out like we've done tonight for the peace of God to visit our hearts and for God to whisper to us that it's going to be okay, that God can do that. And Jesus says, when I leave this planet, I want you to come together as my followers. And whenever you get together, I want you to celebrate that you and I have a connection that is deeper than blood, that is deeper than family, that is deeper than relationship. It is, it is a spiritual connection between God and man. And Jesus says, the way I want you to celebrate this is I want you to take this bread and I want you to, in your mind's eye, think of my body that was brutally destroyed for you. And I want you to dip it in juice that represents the innocent blood that I, that I laid out for you. And I want you to take this and I want you to eat it, and I want you to connect with me. And if you're here tonight, and you desire in your heart for that same salvation that we've talked about tonight to be yours, then it can. There's nothing that you have ever done that is so bad that keeps God away from you. There is nothing that you've ever done that would make God reject you. Jesus came and he says, I have come for everybody. And I have come because I love the entire world and I want them to know the love of their Father. And we're going to turn the lights off and we're going to invite you to come and we're going to sing another song or two and we're going to open our hearts up to this great God and the love that He offers. And I invite you tonight to take some time to connect with Him. I invite you tonight to take some time to offer this to Him and say thank you for what you did for me. And if you've never done this tonight, and you want to, you can. Come to these tables tonight, and by faith, take this bread and dip it in the juice, and open your heart up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to know you like these people talk about. I want you to be a part of my life. And the Bible promises that he'll come inside of you, and he will be a part of you, and he will give you salvation. You guys can come on up. He will give you the salvation that you desire tonight. Let me pray for you.